The Messy Middle podcast is hosted on Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, which considerably helps with all of the production costs you normally have, except that on Anchor, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum audience through sponsorships and monthly contributions from your subscribers. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is Alyssa Lenick of Littlest Fitness. And I'm Kate, otherwise known as Coach Carmichael. We are PhD students, endurance athletes who lift, outdoors enthusiasts, and entrepreneurs. We believe the narrative of the fitness and wellness industry is often far too extreme. So forget about the black and white messages that you've heard. On this podcast, we believe that life is best lived in the messy middle. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. I am super excited for today's guest, Stan Dutton. That's you, I said your last Woo! name correct, right? Yes, that is okay. correct. I always, <laughs> I always worry. Anyway, for those of you who don't know, in our greater network of Instagram coaches and little circle and our Fitz Pro, whatever you want to call it, our little network. I feel like I'm the OG Stan friend here. I've claimed Stan first, but Stan had me on his podcast a year and a half ago when it was still, he was still just having a podcast that was geared towards like health and fitness and general education before he pivoted into the powerhouse that is better coaching today. And ever since then, I was just like, immediately, I was like, me and Stan are going to be best friends. I think I've podcasted on Stan's platform three times now. And Stan matches my energy. I feel like I could sit in a room. I joked at Stan yesterday and I said, the only thing missing from the fitness industry is just a talk show of you and me. And he, and he goes, yeah, and it's just 24 hours of us talking nonstop. And I was like, exactly that. So I would actually consider Stan one of my better friends in our greater network and circle, even though I've met him, never met him in real life. He sends me music to lift to. We vent about all the same things. We have a lot of really good conversations. And I think Stan, as much as he discredits himself, is one of the smartest people that I know. So I'm proud to call Stan my friend. I'm excited to have him on this podcast. But most importantly, I am actually thrilled to see what he's doing in the industry because it was filling such a need between coaches and clients and coaches themselves. And actually, like, as you guys know, my philosophy is demanding better from the industry. And Stan came in and he's like, you know what, I'm going to raise the standard for coaches and challenge the way they think, because we all can get in our own biases. And he just shakes it up in a way that just makes us all better at the end of the day. So welcome, Stan. If you didn't know, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> well, we stand, one, Stan. Uh, we stand I do think fan. it's really funny that my name has like a lot of like the, the connotation from the Eminem song. So <laughs> everyone's <laughs> like, wait, do you say my name because you're referencing Eminem? Um, but number one, thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, what an amazing intro. Like, I feel so good about myself now. Uh, I Leslie note people. It's my favorite thing to do. I don't them. know yeah. people. I love, as much as I'm like kind of a bitch and mean and like I'm not good at expressing emotion, I love being in the context of where I compliment people because it makes people feel good. And like, that's where I'm like, yes, I swear. Because I, I, I mean all the things that I say, though. So they're all compliments. And I appreciate it. And, and I think like, it's, it's funny because we are very similar. Um, yes. <laughs> in which like, we have this like internal, like rage against the machine. Like that's my lifting music. That's your lifting music where it's just like, <laughs> we have, I guess it's like the Enneagram eight, maybe. I don't know. Uh, it's an eight we, power, baby. 
Yeah. Uh, where like, it, it just kind of like, you see things and you just want to change it and you want to, you want to, you know, really increase the quality of everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think for both of us, we experience the same kind of feeling of being like, you know, it's, it's easy to feel very defeated when you're a fitness professional or even when you're not a fitness <laughs> professional, when you're like looking at what's happening and the, the information that's out there. And I know for myself, like I've, I felt so many, so many times where I am, am just defeated because I'm seeing people with bigger accounts or bigger following and they're on TV and they're, you know, really perpetuating these messages that are going to hurt people. And mm -hmm. I think for both of us, that's where we said, you know what, like we can sit on the sidelines and we can complain and, you know, be very cynical, but actually instead, like we're going to, we're going to stand up, we're going to speak out yeah. and we're going to, we're going to demand better from, from everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think the beautiful thing is, you know, I, I do this with coaches where I help coaches raise a standard, but you know, for, for what both of you guys do, you're able to take, you know, what people are seeing on the internet and, and you're educating consumers. And what that means is all of a sudden it's not just the coaches who will be raising the standard, but it'll be the consumers who are saying, no, mm -hmm. like we're not going to take this anymore. And, and that's how we create real changes. It's just educating consumers and educating the professionals. So we automatically are going to, are going to have a better world to live in. So I appreciate what you guys do quite a bit. If you can't tell, no. I'm a big, I'm a big mess middle fan. <laughs> We're like the better <laughs> messy middle coaching is really what, what I think just happened. But I love it because I feel like and I, as much as I joke that like I'm like I'm the original stand friend and fan, but it, like we were both in a place where we were kind of in that right before we pivoted big in our own careers, I guess you could say when we first connected and talked and like kind of got to know each other. And I think that was like probably the biggest mindset shift for both of us is that we are moving from feeling like, woe is me. Oh, I can't like, I can never change this. This is too big. Like that just like super self pity of like, well, there's so much crap out there and I can't do anything about it or getting mad and resenting the fact that those things are popular instead of saying, well, what can I do little bit by little bit to make it better? And it's, I remember like, it's like, I never thought that I could have the impact that I did. You know what I mean? And all it took was for me to just believe that like as one person I can make it better. But what if we have all of these really great coaches and professionals together making it better, which is what you're doing. Right. And then we train, like we just have Bethany's podcast today and like the work that she's doing with like her, her clients and like the same kind of thing. And like we train the next, like the next tier to do that. And then they're spreading that to their friends and their family. And like, we actually are mm -hmm. having bigger impact, but we're not doing it alone. Right. Like we can't do it alone. We need other people in our corner to do it, which is kind of how I guess our whole network came. But what you're doing with better coaching though is exactly that you're like saying okay well like let's make this better but let's make it better t together like raise the standard all of us if all of us push it an inch it's going to go a lot further than on our own yeah i i agree like to to kind of play off of that like to to be very transparent like mm -hmm. my my experience with uh with becoming a coach and mm -hmm. when i was coming into the industry and i was learning about you know what what was going on in the world right you know I'm, I'm going to the industry and i'm seeing you know okay like we need to focus on all of these things we need to do x y and z and there's a lot of this focus on uh whatever it might be and it's it's always like exercise and you know some nutrition and like some ways to manipulate diets for fat loss like that was the only thing you really ever learn and and i think like you know for me it was one of those things where you walk out of school like i went to a personal training school and, and i got <laughs> certified and you you walk out of school and you say, Oh, great. Like I have all the knowledge in the world. Like I know exactly what I need. I have everything I need to be successful and to help people. And then you go and you work with people and like 
you take all of this knowledge that you have and you realize like most people in a personal training certification never once learned mm-hmm. like behavior change psychology they never learned like how people work like they understand how the yeah. elbow works or whatever but they never learned like how that human on the other side works and the influence of all of these other things the influence of the messaging that they're getting from marketing the the influence of uh their past their beliefs about certain things and it automatically becomes a very for lack of a better way to say it like you realize you're very underprepared like it, it becomes a very mm-hmm. scary place so you end up going to all the wrong places like my first book that i ever read on nutrition was about paleo because it was super popular and i was like uh everybody's asking me about what to eat uh i only learned about mitochondria yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a uh, New York Times bestseller. Like, I went to Barnes and Noble and like picked oh, it off no. the shelf, read yeah. it, and all the next day I was like, "Everybody, if you eat gluten, you're gonna die. Like, you need to stop <laughs> eating gluten and all this stuff." And and like, and I think that's what happened with the with the industry was like because mm-hmm. the standard of like education was never really raised to be super high. And mm-hmm. and like Kate got me into this book called um called Range by David Epstein. And he talks about like being Range. a generalist and actually mm-hmm. such a great book. And it's Hell like, talking yeah, I'm about so glad we've talked about it 10 times places. on this podcast. Yes, I'm the one who shared that to Kate good. and then I never actually oh, yeah. finished the book, but I believe that's how I live my life. Right. And because you yeah. feel at a place though in academia too, in science, because they train you to be so specialized, but then you make yeah. it, you're a lot better at everything you do. And you know, a lot more shit about a whole bunch of other things. Like, and no one makes you think like that, but anyway, yes. Yeah. I, I agree. And like, and, and like, I think it's one of those things where like we, we look at like coaching and we look at, you know, what it means to be a coach, to be a, a health and wellness professional or whatever it might be. And like a lot of the times we get so caught up on like really what, what ends up being minutia of like the, the application of like, how do you do this? Like reverse dieting and how do you mm-hmm. do a certain movement? And like, we were never taught as a fitness professional in school, most of us at least, how do you get people to do it? Like, that's a far more important question, but we were never taught that. Yeah. And and I think like, you know, it was a huge wake up call and very uncomfortable for me as a, as an early trainer to go into my first session, have him do a VO2 max test and have him look at me and be like, that was literally said this to me. He's like, this, that was the biggest waste of my time. I'm a, I'm going to be a grandfather. All that I want to do is have more energy for my grandson. And I was like, uh oh. Mm-hmm. I only learned about VO2 max. <laughs> like I don't know what yeah. to do. Man. <laughs> uh, and so like I think that that's really what like sparked this change in me. It was like I I learned it and I, I knew how to apply it with people. Um but I was managing like a couple of thousand coaches for this this digital coaching platform. And I was helping the coaches coach better on our platform and I was seeing like things that people were doing and I was like, Oh my gosh, like they are brilliant coaches. They understand the best ways to train. They understand the best ways to eat, but they literally can't get people to do it. And, and that was like this, mm-hmm. this huge change for me. And like, like, like Alyssa said, it was like that kind of split in the road for us where all of a sudden mm-hmm. we pivoted and it was like, this is my lane. Like, I know I am exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. Um, and it took me a couple months. I just, I gave up for a couple months cause I was so cynical and mad, but you know, the rage against the machine, it, it builds up every once in a while. I mean, I never told you this, but the summer before 
that, I think it was probably the summer before, maybe it was the summer before I started my, my PhD. I, I took a like two month hiatus off Instagram because I was like, fuck the Fitzbos, fuck this. I don't want to be part of this. Like, I want nothing to do with this. Like I got so fed up with it, but then I was like, no, I got to fix it. Um, <laughs> but I think like even coming from like, you obviously came from like a certification generic health and fitness background, but I think a lot of people don't even realize like that that's like the same experience for those who like they get, they think that, you know, as much as I tout education, I think education has to be very specific and be able to be applicable and bridging it to people where I'm like, my philosophy is bridging the gap between science and practical application. Like that's something that I'm really passionate about, but you see a lot of people and like I teach undergrads, like I mentor undergrads, I'm giving lectures and you see them where they understand all this stuff but they don't know how to program or apply it or get people mm-hmm. to do it. And we've even had those conversations where I've been very cynical and I've been in lab meetings or classes. And I'm like, do you ever feel like all the work we're doing here is stupid and like, stu- like not even worth it because it doesn't matter because we can't even get people to do what we're doing. And like, I've had those conversations in rooms with very smart people. And I think there's like this idea and you know, there's the really, really like snobby scientists who are like, know all this information. I'm like, who gives a shit what you know, if you're not getting people to do that stuff. And then there's the people that we're training to go out into these fields. And we're just telling them about VO2 max and like what this is, but we're not mm-hmm. telling them how to get people to do it. And so even I, who you know, believes in educational systems, like our undergrads with bachelors in exercise science, they don't know any more than the guy who comes out of the CTP uh, exam and just passes and goes and works in a commercial right. gym. Like it's no better off. And that was even like, for me, immediately two months into coaching, I was like, fuck, I can't just tell people what to do. I was like, shit, humans are complicated. And I had a pivot, mm-hmm. everything I had never learned in my entire life. So I just, I like to call myself out out because then I think it helps people maybe relate to themselves while also throwing myself under the bus that I experienced that right off the bat. And I was like, Oh shit. Okay. Like can't operate a business like this because that, but no one tells you at all. Nowhere in my education, anyone told me how to communicate everything I learned to another human being. Yeah. At all. Well, that's the uh, exercise psychology people, by the way. <laughs> I know. But we're, you, guys are, you guys are shoved in like the back closet. So we never talk to well, you. Well, we're not in kinesiology. And I mean, no. that's one of the things like when you are talking about the formal education of kinesiology, mm-hmm. you're right. It's no different. We don't teach people about behavior change. You have to go into other departments. Like I had to take classes in psychology and public health to round out that coursework for me. So yeah, it's not it's not even available in the like institutionalized education. So why would we expect that yeah, to be in trainers. our personal trainer programs? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I know uh, I might've mentioned this to, with Kate uh, on our podcast, but I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like placebo, nocebo. There's okay, a guy named John Kiley. About this. Yes. Oh my God. Are, are we like, talking? We're going to let this oh we, yes. go. Should we get right. Taylor Eckle uh, on here too? <laughs> Call I think like I need to get, does anybody have like a snorkel and like some goggles? I'm, I'm going off the deep end. You're going to die. Heck so, yeah, right, let's do so it. Man. This is the moment. This was the moment that I, I, I was, I, I can't remember in the matrix where they're like red pill, blue pill. What's the, what, which pill <laughs> do which? Do you remember? I took whichever one lets you into the matrix. Uh, was, yeah. You did. Was, I was, I was sitting there and I'm talking to John Kylie on my podcast who, for those of you that don't know who he is, he's this like Irish uh, professor and he trains like Olympians, trains, you know, very, very high level rugby teams, all of this. He's literally the most brilliant human being I've ever talked to. And he's written this paper on periodization theory and looking at the kind of the history of it and saying like, well, maybe we need to really reconsider certain things and the, the weight that we put on periodization, all that stuff aside, he got really into placebo. 
and we were talking on our podcast and we were talking about placebo and how essentially if I'm going to go into some like neuroscience real quick, uh, yes. he was speaking about uh, in, in neuroscience, there's something called predictive processing or predictive coding, right? And, and this is kind of cool, like whether you're a coach or not, if you're a coach, like listen up, take some notes, put it on half speed. And like, this is really, really important to understand. But it's also like kind of talking about like what Alyssa was saying. It's like, we're doing all this testing, but like, what if it's for no good reason? And mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that it's not for any good reason. It's, it's okay. My PhD is useless. It's fine. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like, there's an element that we just, it's, it's that David Epstein, like range, like we're not diversifying what we're learning. So we're focusing on kinesiology, like neuroscience is over here. Like guys, 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 guys. So they're like hitting on the door. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, like they're like a dog, like, please pet me. Right. And, uh, and like, so basically what happens is, uh, there's something called predictive processing. So essentially it's like how artificial intelligence works, um, but we do it. It's, it's how we make sense of right now. And so what, what happens is we make sense of what's happening right now by predicting the future using context from you know, what we can see and what we've experienced previously. So perfect example of this is I'm walking down, this, down the street, I live in Texas, uh, and I have seen very large snakes and we have coyotes where I live. It's, it's terrifying. Um, I have a little chihuahua, right? So I'm walking down the street and to the right is like a pretty busy road. There's like a small little hill, some long grass, uh, and then my sidewalk. And then to my left is some trees, right? And like, you know, no, no grass on that side. So I'm walking and I see this green thing horizontally across the sidewalk. I'm like piece of grass right? So I keep walking, no big deal. I almost step on it. My dog is like a quarter of an inch away from stepping on it with his back leg. He steps right over it first, quarter of an inch from stepping on it. And all of a sudden it picks its head up and it moves a little bit and it's a snake. And in my mind, I am like, right. I'm like, freak out. I like pick him up by like the neck from his collar. Cause I have the leash. I'm like, like pick him up over the snake. (laughs) I freak out. And it's like a tiny garden snake. It is not a dangerous snake by any means. Like it is a dangerous snake if you are an ant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, but I see it. And, and so what happens, like that was predictive processing based on my, my previous experiences. I was making sense of my reality because of what was happening previously in, in where I was. And what happened was called an ex- expectancy violation. I saw this thing. It violated my expectation for my my reality and so now what's happening in my life is i am you know seeing pieces of grass or sticks on sidewalks and i just assume that it's a snake right mm-hmm. um and so when we talk about like movement and periodization and things like that that's where i get back to john Kylie. we were talking about this and how really like stress is neither good nor bad it just is <clears throat> it is a thing is a thing that we experience like anxiety is a negative prediction about our future excitement is a positive prediction about our future. For example, Kate and I could go onto a a roller coaster. I hate roller coasters. And I love them. So that's a good example. Perfect example, right? So we're standing in line. My, my stress is very high, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's anxiety because I have a negative prediction about what's about to happen. Kate Mm -hmm. is like, super high level of stress, but it's excitement, right? And so it's stress Mm -hmm. either way, like cortisol is up, like the, the physiological response is the same. And so uh, that does have very significant effects on our bodies, right? And so 
going back to like the way that we move and the way that we think about all of these things, what John said to me was, he was like, if I'm correct with what I'm seeing, and I believe that he, that he was, uh, he said, then the coach is actually the agent of placebo. The coach is what can create a positive prediction about our future. So mm-hmm. when we think about placebo, we think of it as the control in a study. We think of it as the, the sugar pill that you take, right? But really the placebo is so much more powerful. So like when we experience a placebo effect, like we are creating a positive prediction oftentimes about our future. And that positive prediction has these, these effects within our body that will essentially lead us to a, a more positive outcome, right? And so it's, it's very interesting because when we talk about what we learn and how we learned all of these pieces of movement and we learned the, the very hard sciences, um, we lacked in a lot of ways the diversity and knowledge to understand the neuroscience, to understand behavior change is very important. But like that relationship between you and your co- your coach, you and your athlete, you and your client, whatever it might be, your patient, whoever it is, helping them have a positive prediction about their future is probably the single most important thing. And it almost negates mm-hmm. whatever you do. Like if you look at periodization, if you look at how we train, right? Like I'm a power lifter and I do like a conjugate style training. But like how many other power lifters are doing five different types of periodization? Everybody's really strong. You look at some of the strongest athletes in the world, pretty much everybody trains differently, right? Mm-hmm. There's some similarities. There's some general principles that we know work. Everybody trains differently because our bodies are different and, and our training ages are different or whatever. But I think it's also like it's the thing that we feel the best about. We know that training that one way we believe that it's going to make us the strongest and that usually is the the truth right and so i think like that's that to me is like where we missed the ball entirely is like we didn't just learn or we, we only learned the the actions that we need to take we didn't learn like all of these other steps to build the relationship with someone to help them feel like they that what they're doing is really going to help them because once that happens, success is way more likely to, to come up, right? Does that make sense? That was like no. some kind of nerdy well, wait, stuff. Wait, there's, a, there's a, a study, Stan. Are you familiar with the hotel workers study, like the cleaning workers? Mm, I know. This is Okay, this one is a really cool one. Um, and then, Alyssa, I'll let you steer us in a different direction. But uh, I yeah. just had to mention this because this is – uh, one one of the things that I was looking into when uh, we did a placebo paper uh, for exercise and, and how people respond to exercise, um, I was looking kind of just at the general field and there's this, um, I would say it's a seminal paper in the field of exercise where they they brought in a bunch of uh, hotel cleaners, uh, people who, you know, swap the sheets and do all of that after the guests leave. And they t- they split the group in half and they said to one half of them, did you know that, um, you know, you're meeting physical activity guidelines by cleaning? Like every time you change a sheet, you're burning this many calories. And every time you, you know, climb the stairs and push the cart, like you're being active. And then they told the other group nothing. Uh, they just didn't mention anything about exercise. And then they sent them on their merry way. And then they measured, I think, markers of like blood pressure and other like health, like physical health outcomes. And the group that was told that they were being physically active, even though both groups did not change their activity, nothing changed about what they were doing, had better health outcomes just just from believing that what they were doing was improving their health. So, well, yeah. There's that study, too, so where 
like I don't remember the exactly, but we even talked about this in Jenkins class where they told people, like, I don't know how they got this through IRB, but they either told or withheld or lied to people about what their genetic information said about the predictability of, I think, like aerobic fitness capacity or fitness mm-hmm. status. Mm-hmm. And those who believe that they had better genetics actually ended up like improving like their VO2 max or their like physical fitness outcomes were actually greater than those, even though it wasn't even like half of them were told the wrong thing, right? Information. Yeah. It wasn't even accurate information. I'll have to find it. I've sent it to someone. Yeah. Before. We're going to have to link both of those in the show notes. Cause they're, they're really cool. Yeah. I have it in my folder from Jenkins class personally. when we did it. And I think like, even like Casey, like she's posted about this too. Like they think there's research on that. Like your beliefs about things like change entirely your relationship with them. And I think what I was going to say before is I noticed this a lot where like, I think so much of being a good, either influencer or fitness coach or education or whatever it is, is just kind of getting people to buy in on what you're saying, because it doesn't, I think people put a lot, like, I don't like when people put a lot back on me, they're like, thank you for doing this for me. I'm like, you always were capable of doing this. You were always had the, the, the potential to do it. You just, I'm just the one who got you to trust that you could do it. And I even question this with my own programs. I'm like, I don't think they're that great, but I think that I was able to get people to buy in to a belief that they didn't have before that they're able then to you know, continue to do things that before they might've thought were boring or impossible or too difficult or too hard, but it's that, and it doesn't really, they don't need anything fancy, right? They just needed to believe in something that allowed them to believe that they could do X, Y, and Z in the long run. And so I think obviously I'm not as well-educated on the psychology as Kate. And I feel like Stan, you even know more of that than me, but I caught on to that early. I was like, I just need to give something to people that they feel is realistic and they can believe in, and it doesn't need to be fancy. It just needs to mm-hmm. be enough that if they do it, it will work. And then we talked about this even with John on our episode yesterday, where there's that crossover point where people are skeptical when you start with the coach, but once they start to believe in it, then like they're, they, they just buy it. And then from there, it's a lot easier to get them to make more momentum forward. Anyway, that's, that was all I was going to add. It's like, I just call it the buy-in effect more or less like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if that's a real thing, but that's what I call it in my head with clients. It's the buy-in effect. And I see, I see it happen with Littlest Method clients at the three-month point on the dot. The second they do that second testing, they're like, oh shit, this works. And then they stay in and they, and they, they crush it, but they just, they, they bought in. And that, it's that just like that. And it had nothing to do, like programming could have been 700 other people's programming, right? You know what I mean? Mm. Like that just, it's that, so. I, and I would just throw in like one other side of that is like we're talking about the positive uh, yeah. expectation for the future. There's also negative expectations for the future. And like no, that, see, that yes. to me is like, that's the stuff where I'm like, that's where I'm like my rage against the machine just goes like it, it's, <laughs> I turn everything up and like Zach De La Roche is just screaming in my ear, like take the power <laughs> back, right? Like uh, <clears throat> because like that's the stuff that like, I feel is, is truly damaging, right? Like we're, we're talking about like, Oh, we, you know, we want to create buy-in, we want to create connection. Mm -hmm. We want to create belief in a positive future. And like, there's, that starts with a relationship that starts with, and I, and I think like, Alyssa, give yourself more credit. Like that means that the program is working to begin with, because after that (laughs) that second testing, like if it was not, if you were, if you were doing what you see a lot on the internet of do a hundred pull-ups, even though you can't do one, uh, and then a hundred push-ups, and then run 40 miles. And then they probably wouldn't add 20 pounds to their back squat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like, you're not going to hit a PR with that. You're going to just going to get injured. Right. Cause it's like, there's (laughs) way too much volume for most people. Right. And yeah. And I think though, like, there, the nocebo effect is what we see a lot as well. And that's, that's the thing that really like gets me going that I really try to help people be mindful of is this element of like, we see it a lot in movement. We see it a lot in food. Like 
when I was and when sleep. I read that paleo book and, and sleep, like I don't know enough about mm -hmm. it in sleep, but like and in my favorite study, I'll find this study and I'll send it to you. It's called the Honest Placebo. Ooh, yeah. Okay. And it was actually done in Boston when I lived in Boston at Harvard. And essentially what they did was they had people come in with IBS. I remember seeing the ads for it, like on the train and stuff. And it was like, Oh, cool. You know, if you have IBS, like we'll give you a hundred dollars. If you have IBS and know what placebo is, we'll give you a hundred dollars to participate in the study, right? And I'm probably gonna get it wrong, but basically what happened was people went into the uh, went into the study, they have IBS, uh, and they probably tried a lot of diets, they tried a bunch of different things. One group gets nothing. They're like, cool, you have IBS, like, bye. Uh, the, second, <laughs> bye. The, second group, the second group uh, is given a placebo and they're told that it's a medication. And I think the third group, I'm probably getting this wrong, so definitely I'll, I'll find the study for you. Uh, and then the third group gets a placebo and the doctor walks in or the, the, the person that's running the study walks in and says, hey, um, this is a placebo. Uh, placebo has been shown in IBS to have a huge effect. It's, it reduces symptoms by like 13% or you know, whatever, some arbitrary number. Uh, most people feel better when they take this, even though it's a placebo. And the people that knew that they were taking a placebo, huge difference. Just, just as yeah. good as like taking a medication. Still improved. Right? And yeah. It's crazy, right? But, but we see like that's, that's, that's a good placebo, but then nocebo, when I was doing paleo, for example, I was told through this book that I read that if I eat gluten, my intestines are going to be so inflamed and I'm just going to die. Like, I don't know. I didn't even know. It's like yeah. you're just. I mean, that's not far off gut. of what's on the internet. Right? Yeah. yeah. The cesspool exactly. of the explorer page. That's what they tell people. Exactly. And so, so there I am and I'm reading it and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm eating paleo and what happens when you eat paleo, all you want is a donut. Right. And yeah. What happens when you all you want is a donut, but you think the gluten is going to make you really sick is you eat the donut and you feel bloated. You feel all mm -hmm. of this pain, right? And I, and I talked to um, Andrea Hardy about this on, on my podcast, and she was like, you know, the, the fear and the negative messaging that we have around food actually creates that effect a lot, right? Like when we see a lot of these, these coaches and these people talking about really like that kind of negative um, connotation around, oh, well, like certain foods are going to make you sick. Certain foods are going to make your gut health really bad. Like the second that you eat it mm -hmm. after believing that message, it will happen even though there is, you don't have celiac disease. You don't have anything that will actually, you don't have a gluten intolerance. Like you just are, are getting nocebo and there's nothing wrong with that. We get nocebo and placebo all the time. It's, it's how we make sense of reality, right? Uh, we see it in pain. We see it in, you know, if you squat a certain way, your knees are going to hurt. Well, like that's not true. Our body is very resilient. 80, I want to say it's like 85% of people who are like 85 years old or something like that uh, have a torn rotator cuff, but have no symptoms. They have no idea that they have it. Like a very small percentage actually have symptoms um, because our bodies are so resilient. We, we move around things. We don't really notice things unless, you know, you're injured and the doctor says, Ooh, yeah, look at that x-ray, <laughs> right? Like all of a sudden your head, you're like, I'm screwed. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, and I think like that's such an important thing for us to be mindful of as coaches, as consumers to be like, wait, are they using fear based messaging? Like if, if you see mm -hmm. somebody like if you're a consumer and you're seeing somebody using fear based messaging, uh, I, I don't know how else to say this, but like run, <laughs> like run yeah. as far as you can on the internet, mute them, unfollow them. I I've unfollowed. I really hope certain family members don't, um, listen to this podcast oh, they probably tea? do oh, no. you have a very, i'm spilling the tea but like i have certain family <laughs> members that maybe sell uh certain multi-level marketing mm. 
supplements mm-hmm. that I may have unfriended on Facebook. Like that's how far I'll go. I won't go that far. I will not run away from them uh, in real life, but like I will, I'm like, dude, do not, do not get this into my life. Well, I hate right? it because people who are doing that, they actually truly don't think that messaging that they're using is bad. Maybe it's because they're in their own little distorted view of the universe still where they, yeah, they or they don't know enough. Believe it, you know, and they like believe it too, but yeah. I like watch it. And I even watch like, because you can say the same message two totally different ways and have it come off two totally different ways and affect people like entirely differently. And I don't think people who are either like doing the MLM stuff or they're early in the Fitzbo days or they just want to, they're like, well, I just want to help people, but they're actually harming people so much because they have that fear ridden message or they're just shitty people who use fear to sell stuff. But mm-hmm. you're, I mean, right. you're completely right. Cause it could be a well-intended message, but if it has that fear backing, it almost always makes it worse regardless of what it is absolutely i mean imagine like if you have this this ultra guide right like you have you're coming up with this you know these awesome products these awesome ebooks these awesome programs and imagine if the way that you described it was like you will get eaten by a bear and yeah. if you do not read my ultra guide like people are gonna be like yeah well i don't want to get eaten by a bear yeah like they're not gonna open it like you know what i mean they don't they don't want to be a part of it they're not inspired to read it they're not inspired to apply it like you've inspired so many people to run no offense but insane distances (laughs) i know i do one set of heavy squats and i'm like i'm gonna go home i'm tired now listen i had to do four by ten today I had to do four by 10 front squats today. And I'm going to tell you that it might be hold- just as hard as an ultra marathon. So I've never you're not wrong. that high. <laughs> I squat and I do one. I, today was max effort. I, every Monday is max effort squat. Tuesday is max effort. Max bench. effort Monday. Max That's effort Monday, Monday, max effort Tuesday, max effort Thursday, <laughs> every other Thursday. Right. And then like speed work, it's 10 sets of one. And I have to count it on my phone because I'm a power lifter. So like, anything more than three is just cardio and it is too hard. Right. <laughs> so no, um, I know. You know, think about it. Like you, but you've gotten people to run awesome distances and find out how capable their bodies are without ever scaring people into doing it. Like I've never seen Alyssa post something and I've never seen Kate post something where I felt there was fear-based messaging. Like it's not like Kate was like, if you don't sleep for eight hours tonight, Boogeyman will eat you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's but health that's, consequences, but that's, but that's it's not a fear-based market. You know, there's a difference. But that's something like I feel like I'm so I have a lot more aggressive views on how I approach my own health and fitness that they're not distorted for me. That's just how I think of a person. They're very logical and non-emotional based. But I would never expect most people to feel or view that way. And I know that. So I put stuff through a filter of like, okay, like am I talking if I was gonna talk to a person directly when I was posting how would I say this? You know what I mean? And like, it takes effort to do that, to make sure you're conveying your messages in a way that makes people feel welcome in spaces that they actually have a fear-based reaction to. Like they're literally afraid to do those things. Cause so many people, they were like, well, I didn't think I was allowed, or I didn't think that I could do this. Or I just like, I, like they, and it comes from this place of either shame or fear. And like, you have to be so hypercritical of everything you say, because that's how most people are interpreting things. Cause that's how most of the industry is selling them. And so it's not hard to do, but if you're like, I think that's one big advice that I would give to almost everyone in the fitness industry is like everything you say, put it through a filter twice. You know what I mean? Not to censor yourself, but to make sure that what you're saying is not laced with any 
fear. You know what I mean? Because you're actually going to get people to do a lot more of what you're trying to get them to do anyway. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a lot of those, those extremes. And I see it in academia too, in fitness, where they're like, we should shame people and we should yell at them. We should be aggressive and rah, rah, rah. I'm like, has that worked? You know what I mean? Like, does that work? Like, that might be how I self-talk to myself sometimes in the gym, but I'm more of an, an, you know what I mean? Like an upper end of what you need to be doing. But I was like, but like, that's not getting people to do any of those things. So what if we just try to be nice to them and like not make them afraid of them and make them feel welcome? Like, so yeah, anyway, I completely agree. I, I tanned it and yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. And I'm just bringing it back to you, Stan. <laughs> well, I think though, like you, you kind of gave me like a really good underhand, uh, like you like really easy pitch for me to like, hopefully hit like a, at least a double. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Or anything, but like, oh, all like, right. I think there's two, two pieces, right? So number one, I would even go a step farther and be like, also like check your privilege, right? So like that to me yeah, is like yeah. where, as you know, I mean, I'm, I'm like speaking from my own worldview, my own lived experiences, but also what I've had to kind of check up from myself from mm-hmm. like a cisgender, heterosexual, white male that's been thin his whole life, right? Like mm-hmm. I think when I see a lot of stuff um, and like we came out with the, the politics of health, like course, like mini series, kind of webinar series with um, some really cool people. Cause it was like, I see a lot of stuff on, on social also where it's like, it's very privileged advice in which it is like buy organic, buy these very expensive things. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, like I was, I was talking to Miriam Fratt on a podcast um, not too long ago. And like, you know, she was saying, she was like, it was weird. Like when quarantine first started, how many like fitness influencers were posting like their quote unquote at home workouts and they literally have like a $10,000 at home gym and yeah. <laughs> who has a squat rack, an airdyne bike and a rower in their house. Not You actually people, have right? a CrossFit box in your garage. Like that <laughs> yeah. is what my gym looks like. Yeah. yeah. Like you don't have, you are missing nothing. You, your gym being closed is completely irrelevant. Right. And it's like, you know, do they have, do people have safe spaces to go for a walk, to go for a run? Do people have, you know, access to healthy foods. Like how do we make sure that the advice we give is going to be relevant for the people maybe can't pay for your services because to me, like we're here to help people. We're here to mm-hmm. make a difference. Like you have to make it accessible to all people. Right. And, and people will come in and they'll pay for your services for a little bit more. Um, but it's best to try to help everybody. Right. And, and I think uh, like the, the second piece is also, you know, we, we end up like really, at, at least in my eyes, like we, we lose sight, uh, of, you know, when, when we do talk about things, like we, we lose sight of like what the, what the real purpose is, right? Like mm-hmm. when we start to give advice and we start to, you know, push people to go into, into certain directions. Uh, I think we, we also are stripping away autonomy and, and kind of providing our own definition of what, like, you should be doing what what health looks like right like mm-hmm. you know you see where a lot of people just assume everybody wants to lose weight or like we see it with a lot of people just assume that everybody um you know wants to train a certain way and it's like well that's not always true and when we operate under those assumptions like it, it gets a little dangerous like we're we're yeah. creating a standard by which people are measuring themselves even though it's not really what they want it's just what they think they should want right mm-hmm. do you guys agree with that yeah, you know that saying about assumptions making an ass out of you. That's just, it always works. <laughs> the Messy Middle Podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. 
But high quality supplements when dosed appropriately can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year, and after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed with what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge, because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. To chime in here, because I'm assuming this is going to be more of a podcast that coaches listen to. So I'm someone who like, I talked to my coach. I've got a coach for the first time besides being an athlete ever this past year. And it's been very, very helpful. But I'm only able honestly to do what I do because I come from a higher place of privilege now where I can afford to pay Noah basically, which I would have never, ever able to do that before in the history of my things. But I talked, we talk about coaching a lot because he's a coach and I'm a coach. And one of the things I told him I've been working on a lot this last year is like, especially starting a new sport is re-humbling myself of what I felt like when I first started. Cause I've been so distant of that. And like, even though I know like we can think of that as a kind of like a privilege, like fitness privilege, I guess. I don't know if that's a real thing, but like experience is like puts you ahead and just like re-humbling myself of where other people are. But one thing that I do as someone on social media that helps me with that, because I can like obviously even live in my own exercise bubble where like everyone around me does the same things that I do is I survey my followers or I survey my clients. Like I check in with people because then you realize all the things that they're struggling with. Like when lockdown happened or even like last month when lockdowns are happening a second time, I was checking in with people and I'm like, I didn't even think about the fact that you can't slam your barbell when you live in a second floor apartment. You know what I mean? Or like Mm -hmm. you might not actually know, like people like don't literally know that you can do cardio without running. You know what I mean? Like they don't know that there's like an alternate. So there was all these things that I will forget that are actual struggles or issues for people and some of the stuff I can't fix or control or change, but then you can be more considerate in what you're giving people. So that way they can modify or adapt or apply it to, and I do this with littlest method clients. Like I'll survey them. Like when I made, I made a brand new at home program, I made a second one and I surveyed them and I was like, what do you want and need? Cause that doesn't matter what I think you need. And it helps you kind of like, I think a lot of coaches too, especially when it ends up hurting people. And I'm not even saying that I'm perfect at this, but that's how I try to make sure that I'm like checking in with people is just like not just always giving what you think is best, which is like, I think what we're all trying to fix, right? That's the Fitzbo mode of saying like, I did this, that should work for you, do the exact same thing, but actually mm-hmm. like checking in with people because people are going to say things that you're like, oh shit. Okay. I didn't even, I didn't even think of that being an issue because that's just such a non-issue for you in your life, whether that is financial or accessibility or, you know, shame-based or whatever it is that, but like, if you ask people, they want to have community and conversation with you, but they're going to tell you. And then you can kind of like check your privilege, I guess, more or less on that to remind yourself of the things that like, it's kind of like the person with the home gym with a bunch of equipment and be like, oh shit, that's right. People are at home with water jugs. Like Mm -hmm. maybe I should read the room. (laughs) Yeah, that's, it's, 
that's painfully true uh because yeah I, I think for a lot of us we we live in that world in which like we we oftentimes have grown up with movement in our lives like i know mm -hmm. for myself like i grew up doing martial arts and then it was just like all right like you know you're 13 like you are you got your black belt like it's higher levels of competition you're going to compete like a you know on a, on a broader kind of circuit and stuff like that like uh like you need to start exercising you start lifting weights and it was like here's a here's a bench press like go do that and and it was like very expected of me and it became a part of my life so early on that like i never experienced uh, a level of discomfort walking into a gym it was it was just mm -hmm. like go, go do the things like you're especially like you're a guy like you're you should be lifting weights like go do some bicep curls bro uh and and it was very interesting because i think you know like you said it was for me it was really the transition for me was uh moving off of the island that i grew up on martha's vineyard and transitioning into uh you know owning a gym in boston and there was this moment where you know most of our clientele um they were gay men and i remember like I, I had people on more than one occasion be like this is the first gym that i felt comfortable in and i'm like huh mm. like what do you mean yeah I, I thought everybody just felt comfortable here what are you like you yeah. don't feel comfortable in gyms that's like the place <laughs> that i fit in the most right mm -hmm. and and it's like but then i was thinking about it and i was like what like every gym that i've gone to i look around and it's like gym bro that looks exactly like me like we, we would call them finance bros in boston there's a lot of finance bros there right mm -hmm. his name's probably colin he probably uh <laughs> is an accountant for kpmg uh you know he lives in a very nice apartment i can picture uh, colin's haircut right now yeah, like <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of similar to mine and i hate to admit that but it's a little more poofy uh yeah. he's probably wearing lululemon and he's gonna go out and get wasted with the boys later on tonight um, and he also just swipes right on everybody that he meets on Tinder and ghosts them, right? That's Colin. No offense to any Collins that were that are listening. Colin, you gotta you gotta change your act up a little bit, bud. Um, but I think like that was what I was so comfortable with that then when when people would come in to the gym and they'd be like, I feel comfortable here for the first time, I was like, wait, why? Like what's what's different about this? And mm -hmm. it made me realize that the expectations and the experiences of so many other people were were different. And that was a big change for me because it made me say, okay, the messenger that I give, the the way that I speak to people, the, the way that I run a program, we need to make sure that it, it communicates that to people like, hey, like you're going to be accepted here. Hey, like it's okay to start wherever you are and you're not expected to be calling the gym bro, uh, you know, where your primary thing that you talk about in between sets is like what bar or what club you're going to go to. Um, and it was amazing. Like I said, like you have to read yeah. the room, you have to talk to people and all of a sudden you realize like, okay, there are so many things that I haven't thought about because maybe I've never experienced that obstacle. I've never experienced that barrier. Um, mm -hmm. or because I just haven't experienced it for a long time. And this just feels normal to me now. Right. Mm -hmm. so yeah, I agree. I ramble as well. <laughs> no, but it's no, cool. It's I actually so said yeah. to Noah specifically this weekend. So I technically have an Olympic weightlifting team that I'm a part of. I just train under Noah and he trains under the head coach, trains everyone else. And last week I had a, my workouts got all messed up. So I went on Saturday to lift with them because I needed to do my lift on Saturday and I usually don't lift on Saturdays. And I was sitting there in the room and I was like, and I've been, I mean, I've been in a lot of different gyms and settings. And I mean, I've, I worked in uh, exercise as an exercise rehab specialist. And that was probably the most diverse setting I was ever in where I saw people of different like 
health and age and like all that different stuff kind of come because they were also trying to just get healthier. But I looked at Noah after like I was warming up and I was like, this is the most diverse room of people I've ever been in, in a gym in my life. Because there was people who were of like three different ethnicities and all these different weight statuses and skill levels and experience. And like the one person is literally like top in the nation. And the other person is just like completely beginner and then everything in between. And I was like, how, like the fact that I have gone and I've gone through every different sport you can be. in, I was like, that is, this is the most diverse room of people I've met in my life. And I'm, that was this weekend. You know what I mean? And I was like, this is so cool. But I was like, how do we replicate this everywhere else? You know what I mean? For like those types of people all feel welcome snatching next to like a national champion in a different body or a different ethnicity and never feeling like like they don't belong in that same room as them, where a lot of people will compare themselves to that and be like, well, I just don't belong here. Well, yeah, you do, but it's just a different place. So I was like, I was like, man, I was like, and I thought of you immediately. I was like, I gotta tell Stan about this, which I haven't told you about this till now. But I was like, this is the coolest <laughs> fucking thing. Like, how do we do this everywhere? But that's exactly what you're trying to do now. Yes. So, so to kind of play off of that. So like, that was very similar to my gym. It was primarily gay men, but there's so many different backgrounds, so many different religions and ethnicities and nationalities. And it was, it was really cool. And, you know, we would have, um, for example, like we would have people that worked for the government, uh, deadlifting next to people who were trans. And, you know, after that, there'd be, uh, you know, people who were a stay at home mom, like it was just this crazy different mix of people from their professions to their you know, wherever they came from in the world, like, you know, Boston's a very diverse city, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. I know Jim reflected that, but, you know, I was talking to Shantae Cofield, aka the movement maestro, who is my favorite yeah. person on Instagram from a, a TikTok in reels perspective. Uh, <laughs> super fun. But I, I think like the, the thing that like we were talking about, um, you know, really supporting LGBTQ uh, I plus individuals within fitness mm -hmm. and, uh, and one of the things she said was like, you know, it's, it's number one, like making sure that there is a, a, a very clear, like there is diversity, there is inclusion, like that, you know, you're not marketing on your Instagram page and it's only people who are white, cisgender, uh, heterosexual, right? Like it's in it, thin, right? It's, you're showing different bodies, you're showing different people. Um, but I think the the big thing that, that she said was like, you have to make sure that there is inclusion and acceptance, but also I think like the, the big problem that I see sometimes is people do it like aggressively and they try to be like mm. too, like, I don't want to say too inclusive, but like they try to do it publicly, right? It is not just a part of who they are. It's a part of like their marketing. And I think that's yeah, the, it's a showmanship the thing. worst thing you could possibly ever do. Perfect example. No offense to anybody like this, but like, in June, when everybody posts their black square, and it was like, next day, uh, yeah, all right. So like, here are my favorite tips for how to do X, Y, and Z. Like, they haven't changed anything they've done. They've never talked about anti-racism after that. They promoted a couple webinars, maybe or whatever. But that was it. It was very performative, and I think like that is very clear. It sends off a very clear message of like, I'm going to do this so I don't get canceled. I'm going to say that I'm super inclusive so I don't get canceled, right? But I think the the reality is like it has to be a, a practice and a thing that you do. And so like even something as simple as like putting your pronouns in your bio, right? Like mm -hmm. it tells people like, hey, I understand that, you know, based on, you know, I'm, I'm not just going to go off of how people look or what their first name is to assume their gender. Like I'm going to, to show my pronouns because I want to know what yours are too. And 
it, it, it becomes a little bit inclusive that way. And it's not performative. You're not like promoting like, hey, I'm him, by the way. Like, look yeah. at me, I'm him. What are you? Like, tell me, right? Like, um, but it also, I think the the big thing is like, when when we are creating that space and we are uh, working with people from so many different backgrounds, and we want to, let's say, maybe maybe bring in a little bit more of that. I think the number one thing is like to ask yourself, like, why? Why is it that we maybe are not as diverse? Like, what are the things that I'm doing? How am I talking about movement? How am I talking about things that maybe is is really pushing away people that I want to bring in to bring in more more diversity and more inclusion, right? And and that was something that, you know we did kind of naturally within the business was. We never used like supercharged terms with our marketing. We never used a lot of things mm-hmm. where it was like you have to lose fat and like look good and like otherwise you're a loser, right? Like we never yeah. did that, but it was very normal in the industry. So automatically attract a lot of people. We we literally like I would run around uh, wearing a a big like chicken mask uh, and a <laughs> rainbow tutu, right? Like I would wear a mullet yes. to our workouts. Like I would do crazy stuff and wear like funny outfits so people would know like. If they're doing this, like they're going to be very accepting of anybody that walks in and we would try to be very inclusive and we would treat everybody the same. Like we'd never, ever, um, you know, point out something about someone that was, that was different. We would never ask people to come out, right? Like we never be like, oh, this is our gay client, right? This is just our client. Like this is just a human being, but we, we, we qualify a lot of these things, right? And that was a big piece. But then, you know, I think the, the thing that Shantae brought up was understanding that like you have to do that. You have to be inclusive. You have to show that that all people are welcome here and, and that you have diversity. You also have to be okay with like people not staying, right? You have to be okay with mm-hmm. like if you have a client who is a person of color who's gay or whoever, whatever it might be, where they're in a, a more marginalized community, like if if they leave, like that's okay because they're making a choice, right? Mm-hmm. It's not because they don't feel welcome there. Um, but it's because they are, you know, maybe like I've been training, let's say Olympic weightlifting for a while. I want to go do powerlifting. So I'm going to go work with a powerlifting coach that I feel I can, I can still be welcome there. But the choice is their choice because they're a human being and not because they feel like they don't belong in that setting, which is big, right? Like, and I think that's probably missed a lot, especially when people Mm -hmm. look at client turnover, you know what I mean? Like, what is that reason? Because when like clients message me and they're like, hey, you know what? Like I'm actually going to work on one to do Olympic weightlifting. I'm like, okay, sweet. Or they're like, hey, you know what? I've learned everything I need to know and I feel like I can do this on my own. I'm like, okay, sweet. But like that's a big difference between being like, hey, I don't feel welcome here. I hate it here. But you, people aren't going to tell you that. They usually just leave. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like great example is like, you know, like um, like what Shantae was saying was like, you know, if, if you're – you know, in this position where, uh, you know, you're, you're having a very diverse clientele, like what you're doing is it's like, it's exposure, right? So like people, the more that we're exposed to different ways of training, different ways of eating, like that allows choice, right? But when mm-hmm. we don't have exposure to these things, we can't choose because like, you know, if we're literally like never exposed to something new, we won't be able to go try that, that new thing. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, we have to be inclusive. We have to not like try to force it. We have to try not to like force inclusivity and we, we can't force these things. It has to be uh, a, a part of who you are as a business, a part of your values as a person, like being explicitly anti-racist is like very important is being like, Hey, I take actions to be anti-racist. I have edu- I'm educating myself. I'm checking my own privileges in the way that I s- speak on social media. The advice that I give to people is, not something in which like 
my privileges are being passed on to you, right? I'm trying mm -hmm. to make sure that everything is as accessible as possible, right? And and that it doesn't have to be promoted because it's it's obvious, it's clear. Um, I think that's where a lot of people probably missed that memo back in June. Not saying that by mm -hmm. any means I've been perfect, but we've talked, we both have talked about this together and Pat, like we just talk. And I think people forget, and that's where I think that you guys are probably doing a really good job at and trying to do with releasing your course on this is that the privilege is tied into this so much more closely that it's not a matter of like doing this big, bold, loud act every single day from June through mm -hmm. December, but rather like integrating that into the small messages that you're saying. So people, no one's shocked. You know what I mean? Like no one's shocked to find right. out that you're not a racist person. They'd be like, Oh, I predicted yeah. that. Like, okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> like we didn't, we didn't think so. You're good. Like, like they, like they never questioned it for a second because it's integrated into your message without necessarily having to like, you don't have to come on Instagram and yell every single day about every single thing, you know? So I think that's yeah. kind of sums that up, but. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. It's like, if you have to tell people I'm not a racist, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you might be. Like it might, you might be like you probably shouldn't. Oh, no. You shouldn't have to tell anybody that you're not. No, like, I've had a lot of those clear. conversations this year, so yeah, it's a wild one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So why don't we actually? Why don't we just pivot into that? Why don't you tell us more about? Um, I know this will have already been released before this podcast yeah. episode comes out, but I'm assuming it will be able for like post purchase access yeah, or whatever yeah. um so because i think this i mean this is important i think season two we're gonna have a lot more of these conversations we had a little bit in yesterday's podcast yeah. episode but um that we were recording but i think this is good but to tell like i mean other coaches are probably going to consume this episode what is this why do you think it's important like what brought you guys to making this because of these things we're talking about that we're seeing that are kind of like missing in the conversations we're having in the industry and then what can they do to uh I mean, you haven't, you're launching it literally tomorrow, but how can they like find this information for themselves so that they can then apply uh, this? And what I'll do too, I'll link in the show notes, my friend, Lauren English, she's actually my ex-boyfriend's sister. She just made a book that's for free and it's a guide on like how to basically be more accessible as a fitness coach. Yeah. And it's just a free guide that she's, she's, she made with a few people. Um, and I'll link it in here as well for coaches. Cause it's literally, she made it for free cause she just wants to make the industry better, which I think is fabulous. So Love it. I'll link that here. And then you tell us more about why you guys are doing this, because I think yeah. the background of that, I think is really important for people to understand what brought you guys to get together and do this and then what exactly it is and how they can like get that information themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to start, so it's it's the politics of health. Um, and I think the big thing that kind of kicked it off was, um, you know, definitely this summer, it became very clear that there was uh, a lack of education, even for, for myself, um, around disparities, uh, both in, you know, quality of life, like, you know, there's, there's so much that I've learned since then about white privilege, about systemic racism about things like that. But, you know, I think a lot of that also was fueled by me originally learning about um, from, you know, interviewing and, and really speaking to people like Christy Harrison and uh, Rebecca Scritchfield and uh, leaders within like health at every size, where I think that's, that's kind of mm -hmm. like the biggest thing that I've ever gotten from health at every size, um, not to choose size, but like, I think that's the most important thing that, that we can learn from them is no, there's a lot of yeah. good conversations that come from that really side. Really good conversations. Yeah. It's yeah. Like understanding the the influence of social determinants of health and like these mm -hmm. these once again, it's, it's like the lack of um, really diversifying your knowledge base. 
like we learned so much about movement that we never learned about like the way that policy and uh, allostatic load, which is like chronic stress um, that comes from just uh, stigma and discrimination and oppression, right? Mm -hmm. Excuse me, we never learned about that stuff as a, as a trainer. And so like, I, that's kind of started to, to put this together. And then obviously we had a lot more conversations about politics on social media and, and that really through talking to, you know, people like Dr. J-Pop, Jennifer Hutton, who's brilliant, does a lot of good work on like anti-racism and allyship, um, through talking to Amanda Howell, who I know is a good friend of yours, um, yes. who's a public health expert. She's awesome. I was going to say, Amanda's like my internet wife. I feel like I just talk yeah. to her all day, every day. But we talk about a lot of this stuff because it's really yeah. important. So continue. Yeah, it's really important. And then in Miriam Fried, who has 140,000 inf- uh, followers on No, um, I'm Instagram. such a big – she's she's just like a looking – she's just like a little blessing. She's just like an angel like, <laughs> of the fitness. Imagine like 140,000 followers and like she's talking about things that like I get heat for with 5,000 followers, right? I, like, I give her so much applause. I can't even say that – I can't even say anything without getting yelled at, let alone these topics that are going to get you so much more heat. She, she deserves mm-hmm. all the kudos. But I would say like the thing is, so like, so the the four of us basically teamed up and we have uh, four hour to an hour and a half long presentations. We're going to learn a bunch of stuff. We have action steps. Like I was like, I really want to make sure when we put this all together, like it's not just like, all right, guys, like here's a webinar. Make sure you post it on social media. So everybody thinks like you're doing the work. It's like, no, like, mm-hmm. here are the action steps here's the thing you got to learn, but here's how you do it. And like, you don't do it once. This is what you're going to do probably for the rest of your life. Like, this is what we're going to be thinking about. We're going to be talking about this for a long time and actually applying it. And so we're talking about like, I do a webinar on privilege. Um, Dr. J-Pop talks about like, it's an amazing uh, webinar. She's so, so brilliant. And she talks about um, the history of systemic racism, of, of oppression, and then transitioning that into uh like how that's affected healthcare how that's affected um mm-hmm. you know, marginalized communities r- relationships with healthcare um and then how to be an ally how to be an anti-racist like how to put that into practice um we have uh amanda howell coming in and, and she talks about uh really the social determinants of health how health policy really does have a huge impact on the health and the lives of the people that that are our co-humans within uh, the United States and, and, and even more. And, you know, how we have to really be considerate of that with our messaging, with the way that we communicate. And then Miriam talks about like, how do you take all of this knowledge and like communicate on social, like what to expect. And like, the one thing I will say is like, yeah, you're going to catch some heat when you, when you kind of speak up. Um, but I would say for every, you know, troll comment that I get, I get like, 10 good good comments and dms right it's like it's it's a lot of people are like thank you so much for speaking out like thank you so much for like not going to that like i'm not political because like health is political Mm -hmm. people people's bodies people's beings have been politicized and like being an ally means like we we take our soapbox we take our privilege and we not only risk our privilege we risk the things that we have uh in order to help people that uh, have not been afforded those those privileges to actually equalize, right? Because that's all mm-hmm. that I care about. Let's just let's actually make an equal playing field for health. Like let's make an equal yeah. play, playing field for quality of life. And and so uh, you know that's what we talk about. And it's action steps. It's cool. We use this thing called Mighty Networks. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's basically like no, a that's Facebook- what- it's Amanda so just opened her thing it's on. I want to. I want to start one, but I have to not do more things. <laughs> so literally, it's like a Facebook group. So like you'll be able to comment, and like we'll be able to have these conversations like in the group. It's like a Facebook group without like 
whatever happens without on Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> this is why I want it. Yeah. It's amazing. amazing. It's, cool. it's, like, it's in there. Like, and, and also, so it's, um, the full price is $200. Like I know Alyssa has a, has a dope code, um, that, uh, I'm going to post about that today though. So don't worry. Do it. Um, and, and like the cool thing is so, like, that'll save you some money, but it's, it's $200 and, um, we're donating, um, $50 to black mama's matter. Uh, and then also $50 from every single person that purchases. So it's more than 50% of revenue. Um, we'll be going to, uh, the black women's health imperative. And so those are both nonprofits. They're both doing amazing things in not only providing resources and education, um, to people that really need it, but also they are actively working on, uh, health policy and once again, kind of mm-hmm. equalizing, um, you know, within a, 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 a political sense um creating creating more equality creating better resources for people who really need it so uh yeah long story short it's, it's pretty cool and like you know it's something I'll, I'll continue to talk about um and can really intertwine because it affects it affects all of us and the, the more mm-hmm. we can help people become healthy and, and show representation like we're, we're helping a lot of people and we can push the industry forward a lot more I think the part that I like to really hit home for people and I try to explain, and this was even before like all of these conversations happened, but just in general, people have very like either extremist views or like super specific niche views on health and fitness or like when they think that they should go like very unhealthy ways to get people to do things. I'm like, if you care, if you actually genuinely care about people's health at the end of the day, you're going to either bury your ego, challenge your previous thinking, or do things that are outside maybe your wheelhouse in order to get them to do that. And I think that that is exactly what you guys are doing. And you see that a lot. And I think maybe that's maybe their conflict with people right now, but they're like, well, I only signed up to share about this, this, and this. I'm like, but if at the end of the day, this is the work that genuinely gets people to be healthier and you actually care mm-hmm. about people's health, then like you should care about this just as much or more than like macros. You know what I mean? Like, cause that yeah. like, and, and obviously still do what you're trained to do, but it doesn't mean that like if you, you, you have to say, do you only selectively care about health or do you actually really care about all people's health? And that's what it kind of comes down to, right? I, I agree. And like there's – I was going to try to Google the quote, but I can't Google it. It's okay. Uh, there's a great quote where it's like, you know, when they're when they're explaining privilege, it's like, you know, to, to be, you know, like – I mean, I would say like using myself as an example, a cisgender, heterosexual – white thin male is to be both uh like simultaneously ubiquitous and invisible right so it's like mm-hmm. you a lot of the times the people that are that are really pushing those views and those narratives and, are, and that are acting in that way they fall more or less under that umbrella and part of what happens is like they they have this like invisibility cloak that makes them be able to say well like none of that stuff matters it's not what i signed up for Mm-hmm. Whereas when you don't get to wear it, when you when you're not wearing that invisibility cloak, it's that's not true. It's it's extremely important, and, and I think showing that you are aware of these things and you are actively trying to to make a difference, like from a business perspective, it's way better because you're going to attract a more diverse clientele, and that only makes you a better coach. Like if you're coaching somebody and they have let's say you know they're from a a, a country where you aren't super educated on their food and you know, rather than uh, being like, well, let's say, for example, they're from India and they eat naan. And, uh, and you're like, I don't really know what naan is. So go get some uh, Dave's killer bread instead, right? Like, it's very culturally, culturally incompetent to do that. But, you know, that actually builds up a lot of awesome skills, because all of a sudden, like, you might have another client, they're like, Oh, well, like, 
I really need to get help with eating more carbs. And you're like, dude, have you ever had garlic naan? Like I just had it for the first <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. Like, you told me about it and oh my God, right? It's hilarious because that's yeah. what I ate to get me through my 100K. I would eat just naan in my office, just plain because it's it yeah. slaps so hard. But like no one so presents good. that as a valid, valid carbohydrate item. And like, it's amazing. No, like, that's so unrelated to all this, but it applies to <laughs> people's food. food. But I just think, and it's so crazy too. I always think about when people like demonize other cultures' food. I'm like, other cultures' food actually make more sense than our food. It's a protein, yeah. a rice grain or like bread-based thing. And then some sort of side that's either a fat right. or a dip. I was like, that actually makes a lot more logical nutritional sense. I don't know why you're shaming this. Yeah, like, that's what the, the my way plate we, aims to do. But Yeah, like they are doing <laughs> what they're supposed to do. Up. Americans yeah. eating, but me and Kate splitting a bag of Taco Bell tacos as we rushed between podcasts yeah. today was yeah. actually not like like... <laughs> it's probably not like rush tacos is not like yeah. necessarily yeah, the yeah. healthiest way to consume yeah. food <laughs> yeah i agree i was like joking about that actually on the webinar that i that i did for um for the politics of health like i use michael pollan as an example of like what privilege mm -hmm. within food sounds like because he has this book called mm -hmm. food rules and it's like you know he has all these arbitrary terrible misinformed i hate i hate his food rules more than anything else and one of them is like if uh, you know, if it came through like a window while you were sitting in your car, like this drive through, it's not food, right? Like drive through food mm. is not food. And I was like, literally, I live in Austin, Texas. I can go to so many dope taco spots where I can <laughs> see them cooking the food. And guess what? It is food, man. It is living. Real There's ass food. Yeah. There's a homemade tortilla. There's some awesome chicken or beef or whatever meat I want in there. I could go vegan with it if I wanted to. And I promise mm -hmm. you it's real food, right? And it's like, mm -hmm. those are the food rules. Those are the things where it's like, it's it's in a lot of ways whitewashing. It's culturally insensitive, but it's everywhere. And so like, you know, yeah. to kind of turn it back to like even what we were talking about before. It's like from that, that coach perspective, like from from the the client perspective with a, even a placebo and nocebo and creating fear. And it's like, we have to under, understand that like the things that are just like, out there and that, that maybe are not culturally sensitive and, and are not having its privilege checked, uh, it it automatically creates unnecessary barriers to health. And yeah. if you're a client and you're seeing that, like run away. If you're a coach and you're doing that, be like, okay, press pause. Maybe I don't need to post every day just to post to try to get clients. Like maybe I should post less frequently and maybe as I'm not posting, I should educate myself and make advice that is a little bit more um, inclusive and allows for more more space for brilliant minds you know more more space mm -hmm. for a diverse clientele because it'll actually make me a better coach that makes sense yeah, yeah no absolutely. i mean for the woman who emailed me in june and she was like are you being bullied to admit that you're not anti-racist like she like lectured me on this i was like okay you can leave my email list goodbye because for every one of you who's gonna be like ignorant you're just going to open up space for more people who actually need that space more than anything right so mm -hmm. like for every person you're going to get who's going to come back to you and send you an ignorant message you're going to be like okay well you're you're probably not going to give me your money anyway right or i don't want it so like so like i like i like that idea of taking the time between focused on creating content to use it to consume to be better that's a really good application of that is the whole point of yeah. that Speak when you have something to say. That's what I think is like, yeah. I, I I know so many people that talk just to talk and it's like, I mean, I, I guess I talk a lot. So like, who knows? I mean, um, I post every, I post, I'm trying to post less. And then every day I'm like, Ooh, I have something to say, yeah. but yeah. Well, you have something to say, right? It's like, you see stuff and you're like, why are you doing that? 
Like you're you're mm-hmm. not always like, like you see a lot of stuff out there and you're like, what does this do? Like what does this do for people? And like, would you be better off? Like what what posts would somebody have seen if you didn't put, put post today? No, not to either of you. You post valuable, good content. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of people. I haven't posted but, in like, a month either. So Kate just has yeah. not even been on the ends. I've I've had to keep her up to date on everything going on Instagram. So I mean, I I take like I'll take a week or two off sometimes because I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? Like I would rather have people if they're scrolling and they see something that's like important to the world, that's okay. Like I don't have to post right now because I'm going to speak when I have something to say, right? And Well, I think this ties into maybe not so much the stuff that we were, we were just talking about, but maybe some of your coaching specific stuff, like maybe what you and Tatum did. But I mean, when I give my arbitrary Instagram advice, when I open up Little Littlest's Academy of how to crush Instagram someday, a lot of it I ask myself is like, am I being self-serving or am I serving? Can I, can I serve other people with this? And even when I talk about myself or my own experience, I'm still thinking about how I can use my words in a way so other per- another person can see themselves in that feel that or that it like gives them freedom or permission in a way so it's like always asking yourself like how can am i adding value with this or some days like you'll you'll you know you'll think all day like you're like i have nothing to post nothing to post and you're like then just don't post because you're not adding value to anyone's day that day and i always ask myself that I, when i am making stuff and like that's where like surveying your people and asking them what they need helps too but like if you don't have anything to actually say like just don't post that day. Like, obviously like that goes against people who are like post every day, be consistent, be consistent. But like, you're going to do a lot better if you do consistent with good content than if you're more persistent with shitty content. Cause then you're also more likely to miss the mark in between. So So. hundred percent. That's what we talked about in kick-ass content. Like Tatum and I were talking about it. And like, uh, one of the the points that I made was like, like social media is very narcissistic. Like there's so much narcissism. It's, ugh, it's awful like people people make posts that are like quote unquote super valuable and it's like <laughs> some crazy jacked or like lean person wearing like barely any clothes and like you know they're doing these like excuse me really advanced like kettlebell flows or whatever <laughs> and it's like super valuable like i always create valuable content for my followers and you're like, <laughs> if you have to say it a no. lot i'm not so sure <laughs> yeah like, if you have to say it but it's also it's just like it's one of those things where it's like, well, like that's, it feels very like narcissistic when people are posting things clearly to make themselves look cool or to, you know, cause they're posing next to their car. That's like nice or whatever. And like, they're talking about how much money they make or, you know, whatever it might be. And like the point that I make in the, in, in kick-ass content is I'm like, the people ask how to stand out on Instagram all the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like nuts mm-hmm. because I, like my response is like, don't be a narcissist, be the exact opposite. Just be yeah. really, really giving. Do as much as you can for other people and expect nothing in return. Because like when you do that, all of a sudden you stand out because you're not like, look how cool I am. Look how perfect my life is. Look how jacked I am. Look how lean I am. Look how yeah. different I am from you. Instead, you're like, look, we're really, really similar. We have a lot in the common same. and like yeah. what I've learned, right? And like that's, I think why right. I listed that so well is like, I, you're just, you're a normal person. It's awesome. I just I try to drive that home so I'm actually like probably more annoying about the fact that I try to drive home than I'm normal because I watch people try to project me to being something above them and I'm like that is unfair to me and you I did that in my balances bs podcast I was like that is so unfair to yourself but it's also unfair to me right because you're setting me up to fail you but you're also setting me up to like not be a human being and so like I make a point to be like my hair is dirty I forgot my bra like power belly and it's you don't realize that by just existing like that though like 
it, it, it actually makes me more mad and sad. The messages I get people thanking me for things that I do that should be the fucking norm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I shouldn't be thanked for providing good evidence-based content and sharing relatable human things. That should be the norm. I don't feel like I deserve a gold medal of honor for doing that. I'm like, that should be the standard. Think about how much our industry would be better if people just did that. You know what I mean? I'm like, I shouldn't be awarded or you shouldn't appreciate me extra for doing that. But it is true. Like if when I give advice to people for like Instagram or business or whatever, that's what I tell them. I'm like, be yourself and share yourself. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to share every single personal detail of your life, but it's a lot easier to fake being who you are than it is to fake being something that you're not. And I hate that idea of making it so that like your life seems so untangible that people are trying to work towards you because they worship you rather than working towards that because you gave them permission and laid out the path for them to follow to stand next to you rather than below you. Right. So it pisses me off. I hate that. Damn. That was so good. That's how I view Instagram. Maybe this is why it is. Cause yeah, I'm trying to build a bigger table rather than building a platform for myself for other people, for other people to look at me from. So like, that's what I think the difference between like Fitzpos and Fitzpros. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to hijack your podcast. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go just throw my microphone. I'm gonna go. I didn't mean to do that. Drop the mic for you. So I'm gonna. I'm on the third floor, so I'm just gonna drop it out my window because that was okay. Amazing. Good. Yeah. I, I feel so bad. I didn't mean to hijack it, and I also wanted to be like, oh, I'm so good at the, at doing what I do, but I'm very intentional on in doing that because I want that to be the, the the norm. So go through your podcast, get your dog, call it a day. Like. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Like it's it's so true and. And I think like, that's how we all get better. Like that's, we get better by like bringing everybody up around us. Cause like, there's so many valuable lessons to learn from everybody's background. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and like not to throw anybody under the bus, but like, I've also met people that are really cool on the internet and I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to ruin the surprise. But when you meet <laughs> people cool who are really cool on the internet and who are like trying to just be an influencer, uh, they're not that cool. They actually, oh, no, they're, dude. they're actually, they're actually pretty fucking lame, and they're nothing like <laughs> what they seem. I know this because I met a lot of internet famous people, and they're mm. nothing like what they seem. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and with that, goodbye. No. <laughs> and with that, no. If you see me in public, just know that I'm not actually Alyssa Olenek. I've been lying this entire time. <laughs> yeah. Don't talk to your identity. Yeah. Her name is Emily. <laughs> Olenek Alyssa. It's oh my god! Don't <laughs> tell anyone. Uh, oh, okay. oh, exposed. <laughs> oh my gosh, Hello, Stan. My um, so I know that this is going to be airing later in um in the well, I guess early in the start of the new year, but we don't exactly know when at this point. But where can people find you? Um, how can people? I, I, we already know better coaching. Go and listen. There's so much good stuff, and you've you've uh, done two seasons now with better coaching or do you like separate them i uh i just go i just have you just go you've just been well you've been on the better coaching train now for almost a year yeah almost a year so i would say since you switched april was when i switched over um and started better coaching and uh so yeah we have a podcast um called better coaching uh, my personal Instagram is great, great place to find me um, also, which is uh, at stan.dutton. Um, and then there's the Better Coaching um, page, which is at bettercoaching.co. Um, website is uh, bettercoaching.co. Uh, I really don't 
have a lot of variety in what we call things. But uh, that's what you need. You need to be able to find it with the same thing every time. Yeah, that's great. No, and, and you'll have, yeah, sorry, continue. Oh, I was going to say, well, I'm excited for everybody when this does come out. You'll have, if you haven't already heard of Stan, listen to his podcast, like a devoted person that you should be because everything that comes out is gold. Even if you're not a coach, like honestly, you listen to that from, from a client perspective for somebody who wants to change. And there's so many good nuggets. Like it doesn't just apply to coaches. Um, but if you are a coach, it's, it's just like, it's such good information. And you really cover the gauntlet of, like you said, it's not just one thing. It's not just about the technique or like what you eat or how you lift, but psychology and behavior change and privilege. And so there's just so much that you discuss. I'm really, you know, thrilled to to know you and to be associated with you. And uh, yeah, so go check out all of you have like a year's worth of content on on the podcast and uh, through everything. So go check out Stan. Yeah. And I have some I great mean, I, episodes. A few, a few people you guys might know, like I don't know if you guys know, like Kate Carmichael and Alyssa. No, I, don't I, have, I have a few episodes. I know Alyssa. Al- 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 I don't know Alyssa. <laughs> we only know Alyssa Al- okay. over here. But I will say though, people ask me all the time, and I don't have any business specific resources because I don't got the freaking time. So, like, maybe someday the Little List Business Academy will open, but it will not be anytime soon. So, in the meantime, go to Dan. Uh, St- Dan. Go to Stan's yeah. podcast. Yeah, that's not me. Dan Dutton. Dan Dutton. It's like those. What did you guys do that in college? You'd be Dan Stutton, which may, sounds like the same name, basically. Yeah, like. <laughs> It's the same name. Um, But yeah, I have two really good podcasts with him on my story of starting my business. And then basically that real behind the scenes of what it's like to be an influencer and the not so pretty reality of it. So like you get the pretty funny uh, sunshine and rainbows, then you get the people yell at you for literally just having the audacity to live that day (laughs) on the internet perspective of it, but with a more realistic approach and like me being brutally honest. But he, besides that, you have tons of content. I mean, with so many different coaches in the industry and so many people and you have stuff from like branding and making content with Tatum to like rethinking how we think about psychology and training and all of these different things. So I know like a lot of coaches are probably going to be the ones listening to this podcast and the ones that come to me that are like baby coaches and they look towards me to like mimic what I want to do. I really encourage you to like go listen and consume and pay for Stan's content or even I think you do one-on-one consults and stuff like that. Like he would be the one to be like, that's the corner you should be in consuming that content. And like, that's what I did when I was a little baby in the field. Like I just consumed everything around me. So like, if you're going to binge consume something like better coaching is where you should be doing that. And then you're going to get connected to a ton of really brilliant people that are going to be able to be even more, um, further learning resources for you within that area. So, I mean, obviously we're shameless shills for Stan, but you know, (laughs) instead of, I'm just going to link this podcast anymore. When people are like, Alyssa, where's these resources? I'm like, go talk to Stan. Like he's your man. Stan's the man. So like that, that is the place you need to be. Absolutely. Okay. Well, with that, (laughs) with the industry needs, the industry needs what you're doing. So I'm a shameless shill for for, I will like promote anything that I think is good to the point, like it's aggressive. Like, I feel like my followers are like, Alyssa, you promote so much stuff. I'm like, if it's good, I'm going to share it with you. Like, sorry. <laughs> um, so like, I'm like, you need this in your life, but okay. Thank you everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of the messy middle. I hope this was valuable for you. Stan is great. Go consume his content. If you want more of that, hopefully the conversation was something that you could, you learned from today. I know, like, I feel like in season two, we're coming in hot with a lot of really important conversations, but like, I wanted this platform to have that. So I'm appreciative that Stan is here to use that voice today. And with that, follow him. And if you like this podcast, make sure you rate, review, subscribe, all the good stuff. And on that note, we want you to live well, demand better. 
You got it. And stay messy. And stay messy. Yay! <laughs> I'm gonna leave it in. Yeah, we're gonna leave it in. <laughs> <laughs>